the same God that comforts the hearts, heals the body. Oh, the same God that comforts the hearts, heals the body, says the Spirit of the Lord. As I comfort you in your emotions, I also heal your bodies. There's nothing beyond my reach, says the Lord. Receive of me for freely. Freely I've received from my Father and freely I give to you, says the Spirit of the Lord. Come by the wine, come by the milk, without money and without price, says the Lord. Freely these things are yours by inheritance. Receive them without cost. Receive them from my grace. Receive them from the price that I paid, says the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I can't tell you how much your amens, your hallelujahs, your, your worships that come from your heart create an atmosphere in here. They really do. They create, you don't have to say amen during the sermon mechanically, but when the Lord touches you or the Lord touches something inside of you and you see it or you, you know, whatever, it's, it's, if it's Holy Ghost or if it's, you know, your, your gratefulness, it adds to, it really does. It adds to the encouragement of people around you. Amen. amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. How <laughs> many enjoy hearing Homer? Amen. <laughs> amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to say this, and this is very, please listen, those of you that are watching, those of you in here, uh, I want to give a, a, an advertisement of this past Wednesday night. It was uh, just a Wednesday night, but the message um, was paramount. When I say that, meaning it's, it's, it sets a wonderful, powerful place, standard um, of what we believe and how we understand some things and what let me explain um the teaching lesson was you know the the title was pretty generic prayer you know uh prayer and fasting but now since we have subtitled that and uh maybe it never went on but i told candy the first week was prayer and fasting the second lesson was prayer and fasting and this will be dash or slash um how mortification works how mortification works so what we were able to do through the grace of the lord during that second message is capsulize everything in the first um so if you didn't hear the first one that was the week before you, you really don't even have to go back and hear the first one to get everything in essence of the second one but the second one absolutely by the grace of god it was kind of an extens extensive extensive i don't know what the running time was on it but I know this, it was extremely comprehensive. 
extremely comprehensive. What we were able to do in whatever time we did share is we were able to take the born-again spirit and keep it absolutely in the place of its structural integrity where it's supposed to be. But we added to that the also's of prayer and fasting and how that those two absolutely come along and what their process is in the mortification or what their part is in the mortification process. And I thought it was very, very powerful. I received some emails, texts uh, afterwards during the week. Um, a man that I have never met, I hope to meet someday, his name is Michael. He's probably watching or will watch. He's probably several hours uh, behind us, so I don't know if he'll, he's, he's been watching for a good while now as part of the church, part of the support of the church, and he's from Oregon. And he said that was so that message, he was amazed how comprehensive it was. It was very, very comprehensive. So we started back where we began in Matthew 17, wrapped that up of what, what fasting does with unbelief, and then went into Matthew 9 and Mark 2, but didn't go into Mark 2, just made reference to it, and shared how that not only fasting has everything to do with unbelief, but it also has everything to do with what Matthew 9 talks about as the wineskin. And we went into that wineskin and showed that was a mortification process. Then we went over to Romans 8, Romans 6, Romans 7, and uh, talked about why the wineskin and how the wineskin gets mortified and how that first place, that first place is always the born-again nature. So I just want to say to everyone that did not watch or have, have not had the opportunity to watch, um, please go and watch Wednesday nights. You're gonna, you, you might begin, if you've heard a lot of this teaching before, you might begin to, you know, in the first part of it, in the recap portion, you may think, I've, I've kind of heard that, I appreciate it. But we get in down to the mechanics of how mortification works or the assistance of how mortification works in praying in tongues and in fasting. Uh, Brother Barry Johnson told me, he said, man, I got to listen to this twice. He goes, you put so much in there, I've got, I got to listen to it twice. Another man wrote me and he said, you cleared up, you cleared up the wineskin, some things I was trying to figure out. But uh, all of that is to the glory of the Lord, all the glory to God, not myself. But the thing of it is, he gives those, so in the, we'll have that one lesson. We know we've got categories on our website. Uh, categories are different than series. We got a bunch of series. I was looking in there, uh, I think yesterday, and I was like, my God, I really have, <laughs> I've run my mouth a lot, or God's taught a lot. You know, there was one series, uh, the, the uh, what was the, the one on so much on grace? Um, bayonet training. Bayonet training was 22 something, 22 lessons. Boom, boom, boom. And I thought, that's incredible. How many lessons can people take? And then I went to the next year and there was another one on, um, I can't even remember, but it was 31, 31 weeks. We stood here and talked. I'm not, I'm, I'm surprised you're all still here. <laughs> so, but you've been well taught. You have been well taught. So we have went into a lot of mechanics and a lot of different things. Hallelujah. So we have series, but we have categories. And we're going to put this under once, you know, we may add other lessons to this, but if anybody ever asks you, well, how does, how does fasting get a little kid out of a wheelchair? How does that interpret? How does, you know, MC square equals a toaster? You know, well, we, 
that we go into Scripture, we share that. How does, how does the wineskin, which is the flesh, how does that mortification, how, is the, how does the Holy Spirit assist that? So we'll have one category called mortification, and that lesson will be under it. So, amen. So anybody, you know, get into discussion with somebody about mortification and the Holy Spirit. We don't give opinions here. We give Scripture. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. I'm just going to listen. I may not even go into this. He may start taking me another direction. Hallelujah. But I, I began to catch this a couple of days ago, and then he kind of continued through the night and somewhat and yesterday in the afternoon and this morning. Hallelujah. So we're going to look at the latter part of Galatians chapter 4 in just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. So I'll pray, and you just agree with me if you will. Father, we thank you. Because we get closer and closer to revival, a lot of things are coming online, they're coming on board. People are seeing more power in their life. Remember a testimony that I just recently heard someone saying that so many things are starting, prayers are being answered. So many prayers are being answered. We're noticing this uptick of prayers being answered and things taking place. Something's happening in the spirit realm, something very powerful, something very wonderful. And it's all the signs of us getting closer and closer to the spiritual outpouring that you so desire. So, Father, I'm asking you for this bread this morning, this bread of life, this bread that you've given us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Grant us grace. Grant us grace, Abba. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 29 in just a moment. But before I do, I want to just kind of give a quick, very quick overview of the book of Galatians. This will be really, this will be really, really a quick overview. Um, because the way that I want to use and the way that he wants to use these three verses and then springboard into some other stuff is I want to give you the contextual value of it first. I want to give you the, the first place value of what he is saying, and then we're going to look at the fruit or the very strong fruit, value of valuable truth. So Paul, he's writing the book of Galatians, uh, the book of Galatians, to the church at in Galatia, which is a province. It's not one church; it's many churches in a region. And as he writes, what he's trying to do is to recover them or keep them from going into apostasy, going in back from Christ into what he calls another gospel, which is not a gospel in itself. But there were those who had come in, and they had come in to leaven them, to leaven the lump, or to, to t take the body, the simplicity. Paul said, I'm, I'm just surprised that you're so soon removed from the simplicity of Christ. And so what these men were trying to do, they were trying to come in and they were trying to put an add-on to Christ. They were trying to put days and weeks and feast days and basically take them back under the law. They were going to mix and match. They were going to try to mix and match the law with Christ. And Paul said, no, -uh, this is not the gospel. This, I don't care if you think it's me or an angel or whoever it is. Do not receive anything than that which I gave you from the very beginning. 
So he calls these men, he actually goes on and he talks about, he gives an incredible argument, you know, the, the showdown between Paul and Peter is in this book, how that Paul corrected Peter because he was kind of leaning in some areas of error for just a little bit, he corrected him. But the whole thing is Paul helping the church see where they have been the foundation, which is Christ. And you can't go back under the law in any way. You can't go back under observing holidays, feast days, any of those things to think that those things will make you more spiritual. He actually refers to all that being, he really takes, if you, if you understand what he's trying to say here, and this is where I want you to understand contextually uh, what he is, the, the first place that Paul is bringing them to, when he's talking here in Galatians, much of when he's referring to the flesh, he's talking about the flesh in which um, when he was teaching in Romans, that in, verse, in, in Romans 8 9, he says, But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, or the born-again Spirit, he's none of his. That whole argument, even the argument in... Romans 6, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. When he was saying you're not under the law, he was saying you're not under that covenant. That covenant had no power to empower you to live righteous. So you were in the flesh during that whole time. He uses the word flesh to term uh, an absence of life. In other words, they had no life to carry out the truth or to carry out righteousness. And so all of Israel was in the flesh, in that sense of the word, trying to keep the law. So when he gets to Galatians, he's reiterating much of the same. So when he comes to chapter 4, when he goes into this whole thing about uh, the Israel that now is, or the Jerusalem, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, I'm not even looking at Scripture, but when he talks about the Jerusalem that now is, is that's Mount Sinai. That speaks of Mount Sinai, which was in Arabia. That's where Moses received the law. That's, that's, but he said, and that's the Israel that is now. That's the Jerusalem that is now. That's, and he wasn't necessarily talking about the city of Jerusalem. He was talking about all of Israel that had not converted to Christ were still under that. They were still under that umbrella. But he said the Jerusalem that is from above, we're the children of the Jerusalem that is from above. We're the children of the Spirit. So he's still in Galatians, he's talking about the flesh primarily being those that were still under that place where they could not serve God in life because they had not received eternal life, the born-again Spirit. And they were still under that umbrella of Judaism and he was trying to say you guys cannot I'm, I'm travailing again in birth I'm trying to birth I'm trying to keep you from going into a place and apostatizing so but when we look at this last three verses here and he talks about the flesh in a very strong and general sense he's still talking about the flesh that we fight as in the as in the unmortified flesh that wants to come and try to, uh, let's say, stand up in reason against everything that you've been made. In other words, it challenges everything you've been made. So let's look at verse 29, and I hope that kind of gives you a brief synopsis of Galatians. In other words, what Paul was trying to accomplish, and when he refers to the flesh, what he's talking about, 
and then how that we can use that as applicable to us for today. So verse 29 says, But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so is it now. Well, let's stop right there. Now we're going to go back in just a few moments, not spend a lot of time because I really want to go to something I want to end this service with us all. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I want to end this service with all of us standing up here, asking, seeking, and knocking. Amen. And I'll explain what that is, and most of you understand that. Harry will come and lead us in just a few moments of worship, but we're going to ask, seek, and knock. But when he says in verse 29, but as then, and he was talking about in the Old Testament, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so so it is now when he says that he's talking about we'll go back there he's talking about him that was born after the flesh he's talking about ishmael and the whole story which we am sorry we don't have time there's no way there's you'd have to have a ton of sundays to go back reiterate that whole story of abraham and sarah wanting children she couldn't have children they tried it another way they tried it a flesh way okay there was a tradition back then blows our mind today how in the world could that happen a woman could have her bond slave she served her she could actually present her to her husband oh my god and if they conceived together it actually was it was attributed to the wife it was her child and I don't get all that surrogate that's a that goes beyond where I'm you know and women today say yeah amen we they, we're not going to give another woman to our husband so she could have his child and then call it ours um, but that was the tradition and they tried it and God was not in it and it birthed it brought forth a conception it brought forth a child and his name was Ishmael and Abraham loved Ishmael but the word says here but as it was then so he's saying get a, get a clue this is how your flesh your flesh that wants to stay unmortified what does that mean the parts of your mind that has not been renewed or the parts of your own decision-making, or you're walking in your own authority. I have a prophecy here that was part of the 2020 prophecies. Probably not going to get to it because of sake of time. But it says, don't move out of your authority. And I, I look at that, I read through that this morning, and I thought to myself, how many more still Ishmael's are there in my life that I'm calling Isaac's? In other words, I'd say that's an Isaac. That's something that God... That's something that God gave me. That's a project God gave me, or that's something in my life that I do or I don't do. That's an, that's an Isaac, but it's, it's amazing until the Holy Ghost comes along. You find a lot of your Isaacs are Ishmaels. What is an Ishmael? It's something born after the flesh. It says here, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So what he's saying in that general sense in which I explained to start with, the Israelis or the Hebrews that still believed in the law, they were persecuting. They represented the flesh because they were under that covenant in which only, only the flesh could serve. Only the law, Paul said in, in Romans 7, only with the law of my mind can I serve this law. They were still in the flesh, but he's saying, as it was by the example back then that Ishmael, and we're going to read that in a minute, Israel persecuted as a child his younger brother uh, Isaac. He persecuted 
that's the same he's saying it's happening again in this allegory that those that want to come into your church and want you to accept you got to be circumcised you got to keep this feast day oh here's a calendar day i know we can we can worship christ but you're not going to truly be saved unless you keep this calendar day or this feast time or whatever and he said "Uh uh-uh it's not christ plus it's christ and nothing else it's christ zero christ plus zero equals everything you can't add anything to it that's it that's it's zero nothing else and he's saying they want to persecute you and that's they're just like how ishmael was against isaac so he makes that strong he says nevertheless what saith the scripture this is how this is a strong stand that paul takes cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman so then brethren we are not children of the bondwoman but we are of the free hallelujah so he's saying you're not of uh hagar which we haven't read that but that was the mother of ishmael you're your children of sarah now let's go back and get the example real quick and we have to go to um genesis chapter 21 hallelujah glory 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 read these this is the story Okay, so this is not the, you know, I'm turning here, I knew this, that this is not the story of Abraham and Sarah caving in and saying, because they got a promise, God says, you know, in Genesis chapter 15, he says, I'm going to make your children like the stars of the sky, like the sands of the sea. Well, when you get close to 100 and your wife's 90, you're figuring, you know, I heard wrong or God means it in a different way. He just means it in a different way. How many of you have ever tried to figure out God? You know, he just meant it in a different way. And so you sit down, your intellect gets involved. And when your intellect gets involved, you're on a collision course with chaos. So they figured it out. They said, you know what? We probably heard from God. Abraham, you heard from God, but he didn't mean me. He meant, so they did it, you know, this weird way. And so um, Hagar, which was her bond servant, she conceived, bore a child. His name was Ishmael. And that's what Paul was talking about in Galatians 4, the son of the bondwoman. But now we see the miracle of the way God wanted from the beginning. In chapter 21, Sarah does conceive, have Isaac, and so, but what happens thereafter? So Ishmael, you know, Abraham's looking at him. He's, I think he's like 12 years old by the time this episode takes place. I'd have to go back and check on that, but I think that's pretty close. But chapter 21, look at it. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord said unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time in which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called, his name, uh, called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare, him, bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. Wow. 
And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw, now watch this, Sarah saw that Hagar, that Hagar, son of Hagar, not Hagar, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, now let's stop at mocking. She saw him, and we saw from Galatians, that the flesh persecuted the spirit. Okay, and it doesn't matter if it was the Jews coming into the church in Galatia trying to persecute them. The same fruit remains as a typology that your flesh will want to persecute your spirit. Gary had a recent message which was, God is not the father of your, of your flesh. And that's exactly right. You've got to know that there's always a war between the flesh and the spirit. Galatians tells us that. Paul says that in many different places. But here, Sarah catches on this commemorative day when uh, Isaac's winged, uh, however old he was then, I'm not sure. We saw the beginning was he was circumcised. That's one day. Now he's weaned maybe you know, several months later, a year later. I don't know. But she notices, she looks over, and she sees Ishmael, the son of Hagar, mocking him. That means mocking meant he was making fun of him. He was jeering him. He was, the flesh will always jeer or always make fun of what you're going to, what you say you are in the spirit. And so this young man is a type. He's a shadow. Paul uses him as a type and shadow. I'm not even, Paul uses him and he says, even as it was then, so it is now. The flesh will always jeer the spirit. It will always make fun. It will always try to persecute the spirit. Wherefore, verse 9, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Because, see, he, he loved him. He did. And God loved Ishmael. But what was going on and, and the seed of Christ in the earth was coming through Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. It had to come through that way. It had to come through the, the spiritual lineage. It had to come as it was supposed to. It cu- could not come with, with Ishmael. And so um, Sarah gets the word of the Lord Because Abraham loves his son, and he rightfully should. She says, you've got to cast him out. And his mother. And it grieved him. And it should, as a father. That's not unnatural. It grieved him. It absolutely grieved him. It was very, the word says it was very grievous. I'm sure that he could not sleep. He could not hardly stand what he was ordered to do. And God said unto Abraham, then God gives his, God says, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. 
For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation. In other words, I'm not going to forget about him because he's thy seed. I'm still, I'll, I'll, I'll bless him. I'll help him. And Abraham, now watch this. Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread, took bread, just, just, just a loaf of bread and a bottle of water. Now there is no bottles. Of course, we understand that bottle is a wineskin. That interprets out whether Greek or Hebrew, it's the wineskin. A bottle and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, this is a desert place. This is, there's no convenience stores. There's no place to go. There's no place. There's no, I mean, she's out in the desert. She's got a wineskin of water and a piece of bread. And the water was spent, after, and the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the scrubs, shrubs and she went and sat down under against him a good way off as it were a bow shot and she said let me not see the death of the child and she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept and God heard the voice of the lad and the angel called to Hagar out of the heaven and said unto her what aileth thee Hagar fear not for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thy hand, and I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. Now, that's all we're going to read there. But I want you to notice, you don't have to turn there. You can because it's so close. But I just want you to, to understand this. Before this, before this, in chapter 13 um, of Genesis the Bible says this, verse 1, And Abraham went out of Egypt, he and his wife. Now, this is well after he's been traveling for a while. He, he, this is, he had only spent some time in Egypt, and a lot of stuff had been, you know, he had acquired great wealth out of Egypt. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him in the, in the south. And Abram, his name was Abram, and Abram, at that point, and Abram was very, everybody say very. He was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. So at the point of when Abraham sends his son into the wilderness, we know this. We know this, with that Abraham is one of the richest men in the Bible. Many scholars will tell you that he's a contemporary with Job, that Job was written, uh, the time of Job was right at the time of Abraham. These two men were incredibly rich he probably had thousands you know if job's it actually lists what he had thousands of cattle thousands of sheep thousands of donkeys thousands of camels um he just was and here it says he was very rich in silver uh you go back into chapter 12 it talks about all the uh the sheep and the oxen and everything else that he had and he probably had thousands probably thousands i know this by the time he has the showdown with the um when he goes and rescues Lot, when he goes and rescues Lot, um, chapter 16, by the time he goes and rescues Lot in chapter 16 of Genesis, he arms 318 hired servants in his household. Those are men. Those are not their wives or their children. He probably had an entourage of at least 1,000-plus people that marched with him through the desert. These, all of them were fed at his table. So he had enough cattle, enough sheep. Enough, these were hired servants. I mean, a, a big business. It's a big business if you've got 300 employees. 
he had 300 plus people working for him in that sense of the word. So the man is unbelievably rich. He's unbelievably rich. This is not a nomad that's going from house to house in the desert or from, you know, with his tents with a few, you know, this is a, you look and a city's coming. You look over this, you know, this whole city. So why do you bring this up? I bring this up because the emphaticness, the absolute in which God separates Ishmael from Abraham. He could have on that day reasoned out in his mind and thought, and this is kind of the way I would think. I would think, you know, he's my son. I'm going to send him out, but my God, I, I'm going to give him some kind of stake. I'm going to give him like, you know, I'd be, my God, I got 10,000 you know, cattle over there. I'm going to give him 100 or, you know, I don't want him to starve. I want to give him some donkeys and some camels, just, just, a, just something to get him. That's how we would think. Just give him a stake. Just give him something because it's not going to hurt me at all. God said, and it was an absolute example for us, even for today, don't give them anything. Don't give them, only give them enough bread to make it through the day and enough water to make it through the day. Was he being cruel? The word says Abraham, essence, loved him. It was grievous to him. But the message is this. You can't give the flesh any quarter at all. You can't give it any compliance at all. You can't allow it to dictate to you. And God said, uh, what Sarah's telling you is what I want you to do. Now, I will promise you this. He won't starve. I'll make him a great nation. He'll go on. I'll supply him with angels. But I want you, when you send him out, just give him lunch for the day and enough water to make it to the next water hole. Don't give him a cow. Don't give him a horse. Don't give him a mule. Don't give him, God, I've got all this. What is the essence? Make no provision for the flesh, the word tells us. Move out of my authority. There was a prophecy, as I said, I probably won't read all of it. I just want to read a little bit. The last of the prophecies in the 2020 blueprint, the last one was move out of my authority. And the Lord said this to us. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke says the Spirit of grace. The flesh profits nothing, says the Spirit of grace. More determination, more willpower, more being adamant about getting it done or even convincing others in your life to get it done or, or to do for you or to move this or to move that. That is not the authority I gave you. For my authority comes up from a place of the Spirit. I gave Adam from the very beginning that authority to tend to the garden. Before the fall, his authority came out of the Spirit man. That was the total unison, that was in total unison with his physical body and his soul. After the fall, I came with a renewing spirit, a spirit that was created like unto the first. I brought forth the final Adam. I brought forth the final Adam to renew you and even beyond because that one, who's speaking of Christ, the last Adam became a quickening spirit. And it's out of that spirit, what? The born again spirit. It's out of that spirit that all life proceeds. And it's out of that spirit that all abundance of life proceeds to your life, says the spirit of grace. For I am patient and I'm long suffering to teach you this. But when you move, person included. But when you move out of the flesh, 
Then you move out of the emotions in your own life to get things done on a daily basis. Even mundane, even mundane things that you would think of as in natural, as in jobs or work or employment or going about. I did not give you this spirit to move out of the flesh. For all authority comes out of that spirit, says the spirit of grace. Can I get an amen? I'm going to keep reading. I've got to keep reading. Learn this place of authority. Because you must understand this and judge yourselves when frustrations. This is, this is somebody said, I, I need to know when I'm in the spirit or not, or not. Adam, from the beginning, I don't know what tilling the garden meant. I don't, I don't really know. Because if I take a your rake or, or a, you know, some kind of hoe and start digging in the ground. In summer heat, I sweat. That promise was, get, or that command was given to him before the fall, and then after the fall, he said, now you're going to sweat by the sweat of your brow. There wasn't even any sweat in the beginning. It was all through the authority. It was all to be managed through the authority. Now he's given us that spirit. That born-again spirit. You'll know when you move out of in the flesh because you start getting frustrated. I'm going to make this happen. Bless God, he's given, made me a man of determination. I'm going to be, and I'm going to make this happen. I'm a woman of determination. I'm going to make this happen. Yep. And you're moving and proceeding out of a place. Now, you can be adamant about something, and you can stand your ground against unrighteousness, but he's telling us, that it's through the Spirit that all mountains are moved, that we speak the end result, and have you arrived? I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. But I'm telling you this, that as it was then, so is it now, the flesh will jeer your spirit, it will, it will jeer meanings, it'll make fun of it, it will persecute it as, we, as much as possible. We have to learn as those Pulling in. We're the ones, listen, we're the great hope. He doesn't have anybody but people like us that'll call this revival in. More determination, more being adamant will not get it done. It's through the Spirit. He says this, learn this place of authority because you must understand this and judge yourself when frustrations come and anger comes and a sense of having to make it happen comes. It is not that authority that I gave you that you're moving out of. But you will move out of that authority and speak the end result. I love that. Boy, in this last couple of years since I heard this, since I heard this, I heard him say it like you did. I've tried to speak the end result, speak what I know he wants into existence, and believe that that spirit and my angels and everything that heaven employs will go in front of you and surround your words with authority and power then the things that you place your hand that you place your hand to will be accomplished in such a perfect standing of grace and authority that even when you are this is a long one even when you're adamant about something and adamant about getting something done or having something accomplished it will not be through frustration it will not be through an attitude that pushes yourself or pushes others. Submit to this authority in all things. And it begins first in the spirit and then it, exu and then it exudes. I like exudes. I think of ooze when I think of exudes. I don't know. I like that. It exudes itself into all places in life. 
I have called you for an outpouring. I have called you for a place where men look at your lives and say, this is a group that does not walk. I like this. That doesn't walk like we walk. This is a group who, when they speak something, it comes to pass. It follows them. Much of the signs and wonders that others will see will not be just the miraculous healings, but it will be watching your life, which will be a sign and a wonder to them how you maneuver in life, and how you get things done. They'll have to testify that there must be, be an outside supernatural helper or source that helps you accomplish what others cannot accomplish, says the Spirit of grace. Do, do we, we, God loves the sinner like he loves us, but he favors us. That's different. We should be able to get stuff done that they can't get done. Love, yes. Favor, no. We've got the favor. They don't have the favor. The favor is not on the world. The favor is on us. Kings and priests, I've called you to be. Yes, you will lay hands on the sick and watch them recover, and that's part of the great outpouring, okay? But part and much of the great outpouring is walking in a place where the anointing surrounds you and breaks all yokes. Your yoke that the enemy would fasten your life to with negative confessions and negative thoughts and a downward spiral is broken by my presence and staying in my presence. That yoke is broken. As my yoke, as my word describes positionally, then in experience, it is broken for you as you tarry in my presence, saith the Spirit of grace. In other words, we, we, know, we're, we know we're free, but a lot of times we don't feel free or don't even act free, but you get in his presence Allow the Holy Spirit to, to uh, bring forward that new nature, lift you up, build you up. Then you begin to experience what you are. He says this, It is broken as you tarry in my presence, says the Spirit of grace. But it is not meant that that freedom that comes by the yoke being continually broken over your life and in your life is meant to be, be the experience. In other words, you shouldn't have to be being set free all the time. You should live a life of freedom. Go to his presence for that experience of presence, but we're not to be like, man, I, I'm always being having to be set free from a bondage, in that sense of the word. Let others be a part of your communion. Serve communion to others, not just with the breaking of bread. Now he's talking about the physical communion and the juice or the fruit of the vine, but let them take communion of your life imparting to them as they watch you in observance that your life is a life of freedom and peace. And what you say comes to pass in authority because you move out of a place of authority, says the Spirit of grace. Thank you. Impart, oh, I have called you to go from house to house and from place to place. When you enter a room, it should light up. When you enter a place, no matter what the chaos, do not become part of the chaos. People, don't become part of the chaos. Do not become part of the confusion. Know this, that you have an answer for everything, says the Spirit of grace. Even when you don't think or believe in your own natural mind that you have an answer, you have an answer for everything inside of you because the one who created all things dwells inside of you. Be a problem solver. Yes, hallelujah. Be a problem solver everywhere you go. Walk into chaotic situations and solve them with an anointing that breaks the yoke. 
you have one of two choices, and I bet you'll agree with this because we're all humans. The first will always be that of the senses. In other words, when you come into chaotic situations, you'll have one of two choices. The first will be always, will, will always be that of the senses. Every situation will cry out to employ your natural senses. Every part of your day and every part of any situation and circumstance that you come, that, that come at your senses and employ your natural senses. Oh, no. Into, let me read, reread this. I skipped the line. Every, every situation cries out to employ your natural senses. Every part of your day and every part of any situation and circumstance that you come into, into with others in this life. The first answer or the first employment will be to come to, your, uh, to, to divert you yourself or your senses and employ your natural senses. I've got this so underlined here. It's, I've, I've went over this so many times I've got it muddied up here where it's hard for me to see. I testify to you, says the Spirit of grace, divert yourself, step back from the natural, go into the Spirit and realize that you are my first, my son, my daughter, empowered with answers, empowered with grace, empowered even to just stand in the chaotic situation and exude an anointing that breaks the yoke, says the Spirit of the Lord. I have called you to be a super people in a world that is spiraling down every minute. I've called you with those, with those of, with answers and those with an anointing, says the Spirit of grace. It is what is inside of you, not what's on the outside of you or what you, or what you know in your mind that will control your future. Tend to the garden. Go everywhere speaking and sowing seeds of life, says the Spirit of the Lord. And if you have an answer to your brother, fellow Christian, or the world that's out of the soul and out of the unmeditated places, be quick to repent. Change your words. Speak life. Let every part of your garden be growing seeds of life. Prosperity in your, in your body. Prosperity in your soul. Prosperity in your finances. Prosperity in your children coming in and your and. Uh, coming in people being born again lives being changed there's no he says this there's no jesting what does jesting means uh jokes or fun kind of ah, but i don't mean that i don't mean there is no jesting that is contrary to the confession of things you are desiring to take place that is contrary to the in other words i just don't have i don't have no money i never will i never was and never could never you, I, I, I won't laugh with you, and I'm not going to say it. Well, I'm just getting older, and that's something that comes with age. I just, ha, 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 that's just me getting older. Well, that, okay, okay, well, you can have what you want. You can have what you say. But I'm going to live to be 120 years old. My eyes will not be dim, nor my natural strength abated. And I've got New Testament scripture that I can live to that age. Now, that's as old as you can normally get. But I won't be senile. I'll be still standing straight as a string, five foot eleven. I don't never go down. I, might, I hope I ever. Well, that's why I like my cowboy boots. I'm just a little over six with a five foot eleven. Hey, glory be to God. I won't get no shorter. I won't get no. Uh, my bank accounts won't go down. Ha ha ha. We just don't have. No, sir. I'm just a short fuse. I just, I don't know what it is. It was something my daddy, my, my, my brother, my, 
Well, go ahead and confess that, you old mean thing. You won't be raising no dead. There's no place, he said this, no place for jesting that's contrary to the confession of the things that you desire to take place, says the Spirit of the Lord. Even foolish jesting will negate your healing. It will negate great breakthroughs in the financial realm. It will negate or hold back. It will abate. Abate means it won't, you won't have it. It will abate for seasons the miracles that you desire in your own personal life. Watch your words. Watch your confessions. Be liked. I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't be happy. You can be just a, you can be a jokester. I, I love hanging around Homer. He makes me laugh all the time. Uh, you, we, can, we can have good times. We can have good times. But that we can't speak things contrary to the word. Contrary to the word. Watch your words. Be, hap, be light. Be happy. Enjoy life. But when, you, when I convict you about words that are not seasoned with salt, then be quick to repent. Have them erased in heaven. Do you know all your words are recorded in heaven? Now, so you, you don't, you're like, I'm I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke. They, they were all just, hmm. did you get the last broke? I, yeah, because he said I'm broke all the, I don't know. How many did he say? Well, he's been saying broke, I'm broke, I'm broke. Okay. And then he'll, oh God, help me make this payment. God, help me. I, I'm not, I didn't mean to make that. I need to pay off this house payment, this land payment. And then you go, and then ha, 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 I ain't got a pot to, I ain't got a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. I'm sorry. God said they, they wash. That's just a clean wash. You got balance over here and a balance over. Well, he knows I didn't mean to say it. No, the word says he records the words that you're speaking. They stand as a memorial against you. You ought to go every once in a while. I go back and just say, Lord, if there's anything standing as a memorial, just cleanse it, wash it, forgive me. I want a clear path. I want all of all of my confessions. Glory be to God forevermore. There is a joy coming on the church. There is a joy like you'll, you'll never know, an ecstaticness like you've never known that it's coming. But it will be coming as a result. It will line you up with me and my word don't be rebellious in any place hearken in every place and i will give you space to grow i'll give you time to grow i'll give you i'm not jerking you up i'm growing you but i expect you to be uh, to be in a continual place of growth says the spirit of the lord and i'm very patient with you very patient now as i said we're going to come forward in just a moment i've got to read to you a place where we're going I don't know how many of you are part of this group, and I don't know how many apart were, were still here. It's amazing to me. I thought it was even longer. But uh, about 11 years ago, a group of us, I can't remember who, who told me about it. It might have been uh, the Plamondans. I don't know who it was. But somebody told us that a lady by Mother Jenkins, her name was Mother Jenkins, she was coming to a church in Naples. And we all got, and we, I don't know, we all got ready. We went down there on that Sunday night. Mother Jenkins was, she was a beautiful black lady. And at the time, she was 101 years old. 101, that was amazing. And I remember her being, they, they cast her as this 101-year-old lady that was there at their church. And we went down there, and we went in there to see her. And uh, it was amazing because we got probably the last, we were probably some of the last groups. She died at 102 
that coming Thanksgiving, the next Thanksgiving, whatever. So we, we got to see her right before she died. I thought that was really neat. So it was so neat. But I want you to listen because uh, this is a member of Joel's army. But this is where all of us are going. For those of you that are praying and those of you that won't allow the, the flesh to dominate or take authority over your spirit, but you're continually saying, uh-uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an Ishmael. Uh, it's no longer going to be called an Isaac. That's an Ishmael. You're not going to persecute me. You're not going to tell me when to pray, flesh. You're not going to tell me that I can't pray today because I'm too busy. You're not going to tell me I can't read my word today because I'm too busy. Or you're not going to tell me I can't pray because I'm too emotional. No, flesh, you're not going to persecute me. Now, this was, uh, I remember sitting in the congregation at that church in Naples and seeing this dear, precious black lady come out there. She was 101 at the time. She said, I'm going to sit down. She said, I can stand and preach. She did. Remember that? I can stand and preach. But she goes, I, uh, I, it's more comfortable for me to, and she goes, I drove, she goes, I, I drove, she was in Baltimore. She goes, I drove myself to the airport, and I flew down here by myself. Now, I don't know, I fly a lot. I don't know how many of you fly. Um, I'm telling you, for people that somewhat have it together, it's still confusing sometimes. Candy and I will get off. We have this, we know this. When we get off, when we go in, because you, you go into these, these uh, you know, whatever terminal you're at, and you may step into, a, like, hundreds of people. There's thousands of people in the airport, but there's hundreds going this way and this way. And uh, one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to talk. And you don't want to buy talk. Well, Candy and I know when we step out of there, we got to be business. Because you can get someplace, those, those airports are miles. You catch a tram, you might be five miles from your gate if you didn't watch what you're doing. You've got, you know, you've got teleprompters up there that'll tell you where your gate's at. But you've got to pay attention. You've got to pay attention. Or you'll miss your next flight. You've got to know what you're doing, and you can't have anybody talking to you. We don't talk. We just look, go, and then we, once we get to our gate, then, you know, we do whatever. So... But it's amazing. She navigated. She was navigating. Dr. Shelley Jones Manuel wrote this, which was a, 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 a spiritual daughter of, her, a daughter of hers, uh, as a eulogy for her uh, homegoing. Dr. Shelley Jones Manuel. You can Google this and look it up yourself. She said, Our precious mentor, a true mother in the Lord, Mama Mary Jenkins, went home to be with the Lord on Thanksgiving Day. How fitting, uh, how fitting that this gracious saint who always praised the Lord entered heaven on that blessed day. She was laughing and eating breakfast with a friend, Laura, while recovering from surgery in a Baltimore, Maryland hospital when she suddenly fell asleep peacefully. Dr. Manuel says this, I met Mama in 1998 while I was preaching at a convention with my friend Flo Ellers at Whitehorse Christian Center in Indiana, pastored by Jeff Johns. She was an amazing woman of God. She trained, uh, trained by miracle worker Reverend Smith Wigglesworth. Mama lived Luke 4.18. She preached it too. She expected signs and wonders and miracles to follow. Blind eyes to see, deaf ears to hear, lame to walk, and the dead to, to raise. She said if the pastors would pray 
into that and preach it, the pews would, wouldn't be so empty. She lived an abandoned life. Self and the preservation of reputation was forgotten when God wanted to move. No matter what the cost, she followed him. It was a great privilege to be ordained with her hands and asked to travel with her for four years. We set up tents and we rented hotel ballrooms and preached in many a pastor's pulpit throughout New England and across the Midwest. She joined me in my prayer summits too and we teamed tag preached with the fire of God. She rarely tired, usually slept about two hours a night. She taught by love and example. I often felt when I looked into her eyes aflame with the passion of some story she was delighting to recall. It was as if I was looking at God with black skin on it. <laughs> Mama was called out by an English evangelist, Wigglesworth, whom she called Poppy. When she was only three, she gave her father, he gave her father a word about a baby being born at home in America. Her father, living overseas, had lost track of the dates while working on a rig offshore. Sure enough, when he called home to Georgia, uh, quotation marks, cutie, Mary had been born. Later, Wigglesworth returned to America to anoint the seven-year-old, and later again to bring the 20-year-old into to an apprenticeship with him on the road. But he told her that her real ministry would not begin until she was in her 60s. It began after a life and death experience at the age 62. Meanwhile, the child was visited by angels and had accurate prophecies and growing up. And there was a place you could click for more information. She married a bishop of seven churches, raised a family, studied to be an LPN nurse, and conducted a 200-voice choir. She sang with her cousin Mahala Jackson in the White House and visited with every president since Roosevelt. Her offspring made her proud, one becoming a four-star general in the army. Others are preachers, and she had many spiritual children. She was raised from the dead herself in a hospital. She was healed of being blind in her 60s. Now, I, I do remember that. She, I do remember her distinctly saying, I let the devil take my sight one time. And I, w I became blind. And she said, I had to speak my sight back into existence. She was something. She sat there and she said, the first thing I remember her saying is, Lucifer, I know that you didn't want me down here, but there ain't a thing that you can do about it. <laughs> I said, my God, that's a good one. That's a, my. She was healed of kidney failure and heart disease. Living to be a centurion of a plump and healthy stature, eating anything she wished. Her health food was simply God. I like that. <laughs> David and I, that's Dr. Shelley's husband, I guess. David and I delighted to see her driving her car, her own car, last Christmas time when she braved, when she braved the work hour traffic on I-95 
to bring a carload of her friends to a special holiday event in Maryland. My friend, Reverend Billy Brim, last saw her a few weeks ago dri driving herself all the way from Bransom, Missouri to Baltimore, Maryland, where she lived. She never remained, uh, she ever remained active in the ministry. She loved to be with people. She prayed every day of her life and was always finely dressed, a finely dressed lady with impeccable manners. Praise the Lord, never sounded so delightful as from the lips of Mama Jenkins. She included in miracle testimony sections of, of my, this is her address, uh, Dr. Uh, Shelley, the 2001 Oceans of Glory, telling about Smith Wigglesworth raising a 14-year-old boy from the dead that she witnessed. But I heard her, now this is this, this doctor, but I heard her tell many stories of her amazing adventures along that lines. She raised 27 babies from the dead out of coffins and handed them back. God, we want it, Lord. We want it. 27 babies back and handed it handed them back to their mothers. I don't want, I, I'm, I'm tired of God bereavement prayers. I'm, I'm tired, I mean, you know, I'll keep praying them. God comfort them in their bereavement. That's where Christian has, Christianity has come to. Babies aren't supposed to die. I'll pray the bereavement Holy Ghost going, yeah, that's a, that's a good prayer. Anybody can pray that prayer. I want to get to the place where we preempt that. And unless you get where, well, well, nobody can do that but Jesus. Oh, the works that I do, you'll do also. And greater. <laughs> she raised over 27 babies from the dead out of coffins, handed them back to their mothers. She scared an entire town walking into a morgue, keeping the motor of the taxi waiting and bringing back a corpse alive to attend his own funeral. <laughs> she walked into a mental health facility in New England and emptied it out. All the patients were instantly healed. The hospital closed shortly thereafter, and she took me. This doctor said she took me there and showed me the facility where that took place. Then there was a story about the Siamese twins that God used her to separate. She was simply directed to take a bus to an unknown destination off, uh, and got off in Phoenix, Arizona, and went to a preemie hospital unit, overheard the nurses discussing the tragic birth, met the bereaved parent, parent, uh, parents, separated the twins, and left the hospital staff facing the media trying to explain how they were successfully separated. That's our bar. I, I, we won't discuss around here anything, any bar lower than that. That we, we, we don't even know any bar less than that. Thank you, sir. I can get you one. You can have this when we start to leave. I left her in the hot sun one day, this doctor said, in my car waiting for a train while I checked its belated status. When I returned to the car, I was shocked to hear a tape. Now, that dates it, right? 
that had been stuck in the tape player for two years, belting out sounds, and the car window <laughs> that had not been working either due to a computerized short in the car was rolled down. I asked her how on earth she had managed to get either of them working. She, said, she simply said the devil had irritated her by not allowing the window to roll down when she was hot. So she asked Jesus to do it and commanded it to obey. Vola. Vola. <laughs> the presence she kept with the Lord gave her her authority. The presence. The presence. She stopped a bank robbery. She emptied out bars and CT near her home. She took down an entire motorcycle gang in Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> knocking over the gang leader and all their bikes that had encircled her to mug her like do dominoes, she said. <laughs> then she did not let them get back up off the ground until they said the sinner's prayer <laughs> <laughs> and made them vow that they would become preachers. Indeed, they did. Mama saved my life once, she said to, praying out the very exact uh, number of my airline flight a few days before it almost crashed in St. Louis due to air traffic control tower error. It came within 300 feet of connecting with the other aircraft on the ground. Though we will miss her, I cannot, uh, I cannot cry. I can only laugh and rejoice that she cheated death so many times, lived in the hope of the rapture, and stepped right over into glory. Well done, good and faithful servant, Mary Jenkins, with much love. And that was by Dr. Shelley Jones manual amen hallelujah praise the lord hallelujah would you all stand with me please and uh yes sir um let's all we can't all maybe get here but as many as we can harry we've got we're we're not, not going to keep you long lead us in a course as many of you will come in and crowd in around us please or crowd in the front Want to lead us in a prayer? The Word of God says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the face of the earth, seeking to show Himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards Him. Gives us a picture that God is just looking everywhere to find a group that will honor Him and believe His Word and pray. I like to think that if God was looking over the earth today, that at some point his eyes would come across us in this little church. That he'd hear a group of people crying out for the bread. That we would be asking and seeking and knocking. Would you just say with me, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I'm asking you. I'm asking you. I'm seeking you. I'm seeking you. I'm knocking at the door. I'm knocking at the door. Give us this bread. Give us this bread to feed to the nations. To feed to the nations. Give us this outpouring. Give us this outpouring of the kingdom of God. Of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now will you thank Him for it again? Thank you. We Jesus. often ask Him for this, but we thank, thank Him and ask Jesus. Him again and again and again. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We believe you, Lord. We believe thank you, Lord. You, Jesus. See this group, Lord. Let your eyes come upon us. It's not because we don't think you heard us the first time. But it's a continual asking of our heart. A petition, Lord, of our heart. 
Give us this outpouring, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We're going to pray one more prayer. Well, whatever he wants, we'll pray as, as long as he wants. But one of the deputies um, that you've worked with before or, you know, that you work with now, he's got a two-year-old. His name is Bryson. And his heart is, he's got to have a miracle or a heart transplant at two years old. He can't even stay at home. They've got him at the Gainesville Hospital, I guess probably the University Hospital. We're going to pray. We're going to hopefully, maybe they'll, maybe they'll allow a handkerchief in there. This is, this is Acts chapter 19. Paul prayed over handkerchiefs. His name's Bryson. I want you to pray if that was your grandson, if that was your little baby. Bryson, you're going to live and you're going to have a call on your life. I command your heart restored in the name of Jesus. Those of you watching everywhere out there, pray for Bryson right now. We speak life in the name of Jesus. You will live and not die. Your heart will be restored in the name of Jesus. Lord, we go beyond even uh, him finding a, a heart transplant. We go to the place of miracle and we say in Jesus' name, Bryson, be restored. Your little heart, you little man, have a long life, a successful life, and a life filled with the Holy Ghost. Bryson, live in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 God bless you. We love you all. Uh, we'll have a, uh, the Passion of the Christ tonight. If you'd like to come, uh, that'd be great. But God bless you all. Blessings, and have a wonderful day. Amen.